Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, church, uh, my wife, my Latina princess, she sends her love. She's currently at a baby shower right now, holding it down for the family. To give you guys a little bit of an update of what's been happening the past year for my wife and I, we are actually in the process of planting a church in San Jose, Vibe Church San Jose, under the leadership of pastors Adam and Kira Smallcomb. They're from Australia. They're so much more anointed than I am because of their accent. I get jealous. They're just like, come on, mate, God. It's going to use you. And I just feel God. It's very strange. And uh, we're submitted to their leadership. And we are one church in 10 locations all around the world. And we're going to be planning San Jose in the next month. We still don't have a building. So keep us in prayer. We got 250 people that are ready to launch. Still looking for a building. Do it again, Jesus. And we're excited for that. Uh, I'm also working at Valley Christian School as the chief ministry officer, the CMO. So I'm responsible for the spiritual emphasis of 1,700 high schoolers and junior high. Y'all, our kids got issues, and the church said amen. Come on. No. Um, yeah, it's been it, it, like my wife and I are just in the most sensational season where we're overwhelmingly blessed. We're thankful for what God is doing. Um, but, but I'm going to be honest with y'all. I didn't come here to play. I came here to get down. I'm ready to see Jesus do some great things, and I believe that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles, and I believe that we should all have a strong belief that we're going to leave a little bit differently than we came, and something my senior pastor says all the time, he's like, the word is always ready, but sometimes the soil isn't, and the soil is actually our hearts, and I have no doubt that the word is ready, that God is hovering and waiting to do something new, but sometimes our hearts aren't ready to receive, so my prayer is that our hearts will be ready for what God wants to do, and then last Lastly, man, I got to give honor where honor is due. I want to honor your pastors, pastors Tyler and Rachel Johnson. I'm grateful for you. Are are, are you? Or grateful for them? Are you? I'm. I said, I'm grateful for you. Are you thankful for yourself? No, um, I, I'm so grateful for them. Uh, the way that they navigated uh, COVID, the, the, the hearts that they have for Walnut Creek and beyond. And you guys are a part of a movement. I just want you all to know that, that you guys, whether you know it or not, have entered into a movement, which really brings me to my message that I want to talk about a, a, a little bit. Um, I want to talk about the fact that you have power. Look at your neighbor and say, I got the power. I love it. Some of y'all sang it. I heard it. I got the power. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit, about the fact that you have power. Uh, uh, Paul actually lets us know at one point that the same power that rose Jesus up from the grave is living on the inside of us. And we just celebrated that resurrection power about a week ago. And I want to kind of continue on that topic post-Easter and talk about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means in the life of every single believer. And so I'm going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you didn't get your Bible reading in this week, we're about to do it. So here we go. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the, uh, the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. Again, the beauty of Easter is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected, and Jesus was seen. And what Luke is trying to do in the book of Acts is let him know that there were people, over 500 plus witnesses, who saw Jesus in his resurrected body. And then he talked to them about what the, the kingdom of God. 
And once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. Now, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But I'll tell you what, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and let's just cut it short, the ends of the earth. Now, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud, and while they were watching, they, they could no longer see him. Now, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. I want to speak to you guys from, from the topic this evening. Don't get stuck staring. Yeah, three people caught it. Mm. Don't get stuck staring. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, after this message, help us not be stuck staring. Amen. Aren't short prayers the best prayers? So I go, I go through these seasons, y'all. I, I go through these seasons where I, I study the Gospels. Uh, if you don't know what the Gospels are, they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and basically these authors, what they're really trying to do is they're writing to specific audiences, trying to validate the life and ministry of Jesus, trying to prove that he is who he actually is. And it's interesting when you enter into college classrooms, it's really the same debate. The, the question is, Jesus, who he says he is, was he just some crazy guy who did some miracles? Or did he actually die, resurrect, and, and, and walk the earth for 40 days and is now seated at the right hand of the, the Father? And, and so the, these four gentlemen, they were writing this book to try to do everything that they could to prove the reality of the Messianic one. They walked with him. They knew him. And, and they wanted to prove that Jesus was who he actually said that he, he was. And so I go through seasons when I'm studying the Gospels where I get enamored with certain things. Like what's been enamoring me recently is how short Jesus' prayers are. Because the church will pray long, don't we? we? We drag prayers out. Y'all, I was raised in the Pentecostal church. We dragged it out way too long. You know what I mean? Like, like I was raised in, I wasn't in the church of the Chosen Frozen. Like, we moved during worship. I'm talking like move. Like, have you ever seen a grown man in a three-piece suit run across the aisle during worship? I have. And let me tell you, it is not a sight for sore eyes, people. I mean, I've been in some crazy churches. I'm talking about all of a sudden you're worshiping and you just see it. You hear a tambourine out of nowhere. And then you turn around and there's a, an elderly woman in her 90s just hitting the hip. I mean, I was raised in the church. And we would have these things called prayer meetings. As a matter of fact, the way that we would bring in the new year was through prayer. And we would show up at the church at 6 p.m. and we would start praying. And people were hooping and hollering and shouting. And I was like, nine, like, yeah, go Jesus. Yeah, then after an hour of doing this, I was kind of like, man, we still praying. We're praying. It's only 7 o'clock. And then five hours later, we'd finally reach midnight. And everybody was like, whoa, the new year. Jesus is going to do it again. And then on the inside, I was like, yes, we're finally done. Now we can go home. And then the pastor would say things like, now we're going to bring in the year with more prayer. And I was like, whoa, it's a lot of prayer. And then I would start reading the Gospels. And the simplicity by which Jesus communicated to his father enamored me. Like he would just say, be healed done. I was like, wow. Real G's move in silence like lasagna. The G is silent in lasagna. 
Some of y'all just caught it. Some of y'all is going to hit you later tonight. You're like, real geez. Okay. Um, enamored with, with short prayers. But, but before this sermon, it, when, I, when I wrote this not too long ago, I, I was enamored with how Jesus did everything so hidden. Like, like there's a moment where a man has leprosy and he heals this man. Like you can imagine this man had leprosy for, for decades and suddenly he becomes completely whole. And with this miracle that happens, Jesus says, okay, go to the priest to validate that you're clean, but don't tell nobody. Whoa, this is probably worth telling. People might ask questions. Don't tell anybody. Like there's even a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration where prophets show up while Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are on a mountain like two historical prophets show up and start talking to Jesus. The Father audibly speaks into the earth and then he looks at the sons of thunder. Jesus looks at Peter, James, and John. He's like, don't tell anybody about this until my resurrection. Now we see the ministry of Jesus being very silent. And for the longest time, y'all, I, I couldn't wrap my head around why Jesus would do all of these amazing miracles, but he never once gave the command to tell people about his messiahship. Wow. Now, I don't, I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, but the whole purpose for Jesus coming was the fact that we needed a messiah. But until his resurrection, which we just celebrated last week, he never commanded one of his disciples, one of the people that encountered his miraculous power to tell people about his messiahship. Why? I would submit it was because until his death, burial, and resurrection, they had an incomplete perspective of who he actually was. Wow. Let, let, let me explain. Um, Jesus didn't only want to prove to people that he could defeat disease, but he wanted to prove that he could also defeat death. He wanted to prove that he could also overcome death. Now, to go a little bit deeper theologically, I hope you guys are still with me. Are we good? Okay, I'll go. You guys are there. Woo, Mission Church. Y'all loud. I love it. We on a mission. Okay. Now, now to go a little bit deeper theologically, what we have to understand is that if we have an incomplete perspective of God, the byproduct is us having an incomplete perspective of ourselves. And Paul lets us know that we not only share in Jesus' death and life, but we also share in his resurrection. So when we sing songs like the resurrected king is resurrecting me, it's the idea that I have died with Christ and I am now living and it's no longer I who am living, but it's Christ that is living within me. So you guys could imagine the one disciple that was there, John, the 11 disciples who fled, who literally saw Jesus die, the Roman soldiers, the countless witnesses that were there when Jesus breathed his last breath, committed himself into the Father's hands, died, and then three days later, y'all, he gets up and he's walking around. I mean, he gets up and he's just cruising. He's like disappearing and like reappearing as he pleases. Wish I could do that. I mean, just, just disappearing and reappearing. And there's no doubt in my mind that the disciples must have had a different level of confidence. Like, wow, gee, they just killed you and you just got up. We're going to win. Like, I don't know much, but this is the right team to be on. You know what I mean? Like, it's more like, like I don't know much, but you're going to be on my team forever because you just like beat death and now you're walking around and disappearing and reappearing and eating with us we win which brings us to the awkwardness of acts chapter one the one who just beat death is now leaving
I love our mission babies. Like, like, like seriously, I want us to contextually be in this moment, Mission Church. Like, he has been walking around in his resurrected body for 40 days. He's been disappearing, reappearing, just doing what he wants. And now these 120 witnesses who are more like 120 outlaws, because they're with him, the one who died 40 plus days ago. They're with that guy. And now that guy who beat death is leaving them. And he gives them the responsibility of the world. Yo. Now the Bible teacher say that we got to read the Bible through imaginative lenses and realistic lenses. Like the realistic lens is that there was only the Torah at this point. Like there, the Bible was still being written. You know what I mean? And, and the reality was is that Jesus just died. And there's only 120 believers in the world. And now the one who beat death is taken off. And so they, they ask a very valid question. They're like, hey, um, and, and, and Luke lets us know in verse 6 that they kept asking him. This is repetitive. They kept saying, uh, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Because I know you beat death, but Rome is still ruling over the majority of the known world. Um, and I know that you beat death, but there's still the Pharisees that are running Jerusalem as well as the Sadducees. So are you going to like do this now or later? And Jesus is like, it's not for you to know the time or the hour, but just, just know that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This gospel message is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and actually to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jerusalem is kind of like the capital. You know, Judea is kind of like a back country, kind of like Gilroy or Hollister. We love you if you're from Gilroy or Hollister. And then uh, Samaria was like the hood. He's like, it's going to go to all those places. As a matter of fact, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And lo, I'll be with you to the very ends of the age. And then he's like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> and Jesus just starts levitating into the clouds. Now, you could imagine the awkwardness of these 120 witnesses as they're watching Jesus go. John, he's really, yeah, he's going, dude. He's a, did you know he could fly? No, I had no idea. Is that the sun or the sun? Some of y'all going to get that tonight as well. Um, now, I, now, what's crazy about this passage, sorry, I love the Bible. Like, I'm, I'm a Bible geek. I love the Bible so much because Luke lets us know that they're staring so long that it gets heaven's attention. Like, heaven has to come interrupt their staring. <laughs> so, like, all of a sudden, they don't even realize, but there's, like, two dudes in white robes. That they're like, hey, uh, he's gone. <laughs> like, you guys can't see him. Like, you've, you've literally been, been staring. Now, I, I would submit that, spiritually speaking, many believers are in a similar spot. Their life consists of them looking toward heaven, waiting on the rapture bus stop for the return of Jesus. When there's things that need to be seen, there's places that we need to go. There's generational blessing that needs to be passed down. There's provision that God has given us. And many believers, if I could describe their life metaphorically, it would be 
Jesus, just come down and fix America. It's so messed up. So-and-so is president. So-and-so isn't president. There's all these movements popping up in society. We, Jesus, we need you. When in reality, maybe the solution is us. Maybe God has put us in the earth for such a time as, as this. Now, what? what what the angels, what they do is they say, hey, you're going to see him come back one day. What you need to do is you need to go. Now, I want to break something down. This is a principle that I've been, that, 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 that I, that I've been learning. It's a new principle. And it's the fact that I used to believe for so long that like heaven moves earth. But theologically, I believe that earth moves heaven. Let, let me explain. There's a moment where Jesus is sitting down. He's having a conversation with Peter. And Peter, in the midst of Caesarea Philippi, which was a very secularized society, and, and, and Jesus pretty much asked the disciples, you may know the story, who do people say that I am? And they speak up. Like, some are saying you're a prophet. Some say that you're, 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 you're Elijah reincarnate. All these rumors. But then Jesus gets personal. But he's like, but who do you say I am? And Peter declares, you're the Christos. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, whoo, so good. He's like, Saruman, Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you, right? Really beautiful moment. Now, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when you tell him who he is, he in return tells you who you are. And so he says to Simon, whose name means waverer, like to waver, unstable. We see a lot of unstable moments in the life of, of, of Peter. He, he replaces his name. He's like, cool. You were once known as the waverer, Simon, but I call you Peter. That means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he says this, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The idea is that what happens on earth causes heaven to move, not the other way around. I love motion-censored lights. (laughs) The reason why I love motion-censored lights is I'm just a little bit lazy, not very lazy, but I like when I walk in and light acknowledges my presence. (laughs) I just walk in, just let there be light. Boom, I'm like, there it is. I'm here, people. Okay? Now, I, I don't know much, but I do know that in regards to motion-censored lights, that movement activates the power. If there is no movement, (laughs) there is no power. And we are in a day and age where people are asking, God, move, God, move, God, move. And I really think sometimes heaven is like, we're waiting on you to move. You move and then I'll move. And so the disciples had to transition from staring to moving, from staring to moving, from just attending church to being the church, from just watching church to experiencing church. They are two very different things, men and women of God. And I want to make it abundantly clear, because guess what? I'm not going to be here for like another six months, probably. And Pastor Tyler will come back next week and make everything good again. I get to pass through, say what I want, then come back, hopefully, if they invite me. Um, um, the church was never created to be comfortable. 
There's nothing theologically comfortable about the ecclesia. There's nothing comfortable about church. Everything about the church is moving. It's offensive in its nature. It's going into cities, into workplaces, into regions. Even Jesus has a moment where he's like, the kingdom is taken by violence and force. It does not mean forcefully pulling people out, but it's the idea that we're forcefully pulling in, that there's a city that is dying and needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest cause to be a part of. And what I see in the younger generation is a desire to be a part of causes. Man, I want to be a part of something. So things start popping up in culture. Things start popping up all around. Black Lives Matter. All these movements that are popping up in culture. And what I'm saying to the younger generation, I'm like, look, the greatest cause that you can partner with is the cause of the kingdom. To wake up each day in light of eternity and say, there is a God who reigns. There are souls that are on the line. But the only way the power comes is when we stop stop staring and start moving. We stop staring and we start moving. Is this okay, church? Y'all quiet. Is this too convenient? Are we okay? Uh, y'all know I'm a black preacher. Holler back at me if something's good. Like, we, we stop staring and we start, we start moving. We got to move. Some of you are like, well, Chase, I don't know where to go. Can I be honest? I don't know where you should go either. But I do know that there is power on the inside of you that will speak to you. Yeah. Let, let me explain. So the reason why, can I come down here? I just feel like experiencing this space. This is okay. I, the, the reason why the 12, or excuse me, the 120 witnesses were so overwhelmed was because they knew they could not save the world. The reason... There's times where I get overwhelmed as my wife and I are getting ready to plant in San Jose, California. The reason why I find myself getting overwhelmed is because I know me. I can't save a city. I don't have the ability to do that. I think there are moments where we feel overwhelmed with what God places on the inside of us. Man of God, I want you to start that business. God, I, I don't know how to do that. Wow. You know, I, have a, I have a healthy marriage for you, my son and my daughter. God, I don't know how to be married. I know you didn't experience a good parent, but I'm going to teach you how to raise these children. God, I don't know how to be a parent. God, I don't know how to live this out. Like, does anybody have those moments in God's presence where you're like, God, I just, if I'm being honest, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. Matter of fact, I don't know if I can do this. There is no doubt in my mind that the 120 witnesses were experiencing this reality. God, I don't know how we're going to save the world. How are we going to save the world? But Jesus says that there's going to be another person who is so underrated in the triune Godhead. He's like, there's going to be a person who's going to come. His name is Holy Spirit. And what he's going to do is he's going to reveal me to the glory of God the Father. See how interconnected they are. The Spirit is going to reveal all things. He's going to reveal everything that I've taught you. He's going to reveal me to the glory of God. 
And what we see in the Old Testament is we see the Holy Spirit like falling upon people, but it was only for a temporary time. Like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would fall upon Samson and Samson would just jack up like a thousand Philistines. You know what I mean? We're like, whoa, really cool moment. Like, like the Spirit would like fall upon Elisha, the prophet, and he would just begin to like prophesy what God was going to do. Like, like the Holy Spirit would fall upon kings and they would, he would give them the ability to move forward, but it was always temporary. Wow. It was never a permanent coming where he would come and he would remain the omnipresent one everywhere. Like, like it, it was this idea that he's going to come. He's always been here and he's going to do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And so that power is not going to be outside of you, but it's going to be in you. I was watching the Lion King with my godson the other day. And one of my favorite scenes is with my dude Rafiki. Rafiki's my guy. When Rafiki's trying to get Simba to remember who he is. Yeah. And, and Simba's looking at this reflection. Come on, y'all know the line. Can y'all got kids? Like, and he's like, oh, that's just my reflection. And Rafiki says, no, no, no. Look hard. <laughs> my little guy's son, he's just like, oh, my gosh. And he says, you see, he lives in you. Y'all almost started crying. I'm sorry, crying with my godson. He looked up like, you okay? He's only like 11 months. He's like, you okay? I'm like, I'm going to make it. Like, he lives in you. God does not live in buildings. He lives in people. Like, like he lives in you. Now, the Holy Spirit shows up. This is where I'm going to conclude. I got five minutes and 55 seconds left. Worship team, get on up here and get me off this stage. Okay? So, there's there's this moment where the Holy Spirit shows up, and it's it's and the word that's used in the original language for for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis. Now that's where we get the word dynamite. Now, again, I don't liken myself to be like this educated scholar or anything, right? We got Pastor Tyler for that, but I will say. Because I have lit dynamite before. That's a story for another sermon. God could use anyone. I know that dynamite can be seen and dynamite can be heard. I know that. If you are in proximity to dynamite, it can be seen and it can be heard. And what we see when the Holy Spirit enters into people is people around those people are coming into proximity with something that they can hear and they can see. Now, what I would have done a couple of years ago because of my immaturity is I would have said, so y'all need to be laying hands on some people and healing them. Y'all need to be prophesying. Y'all need to be speaking in tongues. Now, I believe in all that stuff. But I was raised in churches that were very loud in volume in other words, they were very loud in public, but they weren't very strong in private. Wow. Let, let me explain. The question we must ask ourselves is how do we begin to measure whether or not the Holy Spirit resurrection power of God is operating on the inside of us? How do we know? How do we know that? Is it through the ability to lay hands on someone and see them recover? Yeah, that's a part of it. 
Is it through the ability to speak into the prophetic? Absolutely, that's a part of it. Many gifts in the body of Christ. Is it the ability to speak in other languages? Yeah, that's a part of it too. But I would say that is the manifestation, but not the roots. Like I've seen healings, but I've seen people also die. I've seen cancer healed in my midst and watched my grandma pass away from cancer and enter into eternal glory. But one thing we know for sure is that one of the best ways, Paul lets us know this in the book of Galatians, that we can begin to measure whether or not the Holy Spirit is working is through the acknowledgement of what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. Let's go to the good book. And by the good book, the iPad. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, this is what it says. But the Holy Spirit, the one, if you believe in Jesus, who lives in you, this is what he does. He produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Oh, I could stay there all day. Love. What he also produces is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and my favorite one, self-control. You know when the Holy Spirit shows up because it gives you the ability to control you. I would ask you, Mission Church, in this pandemic, as we're on the, hopefully, the back end of it, no one really knows, as we're moving forward in life, can we honestly say, you know what, I can look back on a year and I've grown in my love in my love for God and my love for people. I've grown a little bit in my patience. I may not be where I want to be, but I'm a little bit kinder than I used to be. You know, I haven't fully overcome this stronghold, but I can honestly say there's new levels of self-control. I would submit that that is the dunamis at work. That is the dynamite power of God where people look at our lives and legitimately say based off the fruit, based off the evidence. And we know that the fruit is only the gift of the plant that is given off to others so that they can partake. Mission Church people should be able to take a hard look at your life and say, I see it. I see it. I see it. And then we say, no, you see him. Who's him? He's the Holy Spirit. I don't have any good in me. It's Christ that is living in me. It's the Holy Spirit that is revealing the Son to the glory of God the Father. In Mission Church, do you know what saves cities? It is Holy Spirit-filled people that go into their workplaces, that go into their homes, that go into the corporate world, that go into hospitals and are filled with the Spirit. And the first time I experienced this was at San Jose State University. I like really got saved when I was 18. Like I, I would have made it to heaven, don't get it twisted. But it was when I was 18 that like the faith of my father and mother became my home. Like at 18, I was like, yeah, it's you. So what are we doing? And I came out to San Jose State University to play football. And I had a roommate. His name was Herbert Whitehurst III. He thought he was a gangster. I'm like, you can't be a gangster with the name Herbert Whitehurst III. He, he, was, he, was, he, he thought he was a G. And I remember Herbert just doing some really interesting things on campus <laughs> and being in a season where all my teammates were living contrary to what I believed life should be. And I remember God just telling me, son, 
Let your light shine. In other words, don't worry about doing, just be, just be a Christian. Just be loving, just, just, just have integrity, just live differently. And y'all, I saw so many of my teammates get saved, not because of me, but because I was just living this out every day. Like if you're just a loving, kind, gentle, self-controlled person, especially in today's society, people are gonna be like, what is wrong with you? Like, is it like self-meditation that you do every day? Like, why are you so kind? And Christians can sometimes be some of the meanest people. And can I say that that is not what happens when God shows up? God shows up, there is love, there's patience, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's, there's kindness, there's self-control. Like This is what happens when God comes and it's a work that only he can do. But do you know what it takes? It takes honest authenticity and vulnerability to say, God, I, I need you. I'm a mess. I'll say this last moment, this last story in conclusion, because pastors will always have like five conclusions. I think this is my fourth or fifth one. We're on the back end. Who is God to you? Because who God is to you is what the church will be to you. If God is just this uninvolved person that's up in the sky who will one day judge everybody for what they do, then you're going to view the church in a very strange way. But if you view God through the lenses of he wants to give me power in my everyday to overcome the works of the enemy and to live a life of dominion and authority, y'all, you'll wake up different. You'll view grocery stores different. You'll view traffic different. Like I was, traffic is back. Whoa, COVID may be over. Like traffic is back. I was driving down the 101 the other day and, and there was so much traffic. And I was playing a probably a really spiritual worship song, probably Maverick City worship or something. And, and I was cruising and I just started weeping. Started weeping in my car because I'm like, God, what would it look like if all these cars that are next to me just like said that you're Lord? Like, what would happen? These are all people. Like, these are all people. I mean, that might be Tesla. So maybe there's not a person in there. But these most of these cars have people in them. I just began to weep because life is all about God and people. And the enemy will start to get us distracted on things that really don't matter. And we'll start off doing things for the right reasons. But then our intentions and motivations will become twisted and convoluted and things get weird. And even when I was on my way here, I believe there's businessmen in this service that are here to fund the kingdom of God. That the greatest pleasure you will get out of your life is when your affluence goes to the kingdom. Like, yeah, the house is great, the boat is great, but the kingdom, different type of satisfaction. Buildings for the church, kingdom land for the church, territory for the church, unlike anything in the world. So if you're here and you've been staring, waiting on God, I would encourage you, man of God, woman of God, rather than staring, why don't you start moving again? And can I just say that oftentimes the movement that he asks, asks of you seems so incredibly minimal. So minimal. It's like, oh, that's not, that can't be God. That's too small. No. Those little steps, if I move a little bit, 
in a motion censored light area. It comes on just a all of a sudden, the power comes. Just a little bit of movement gets the attention of heaven. And the power comes. And Mission Church, you're called the thousands of people. And this is not going to be built because Pastor Tyler and Rachel Johnson, as sensational as they are, this is going to be built because the Holy Spirit is filling people to go do the work of the ministry. And so I want you to get a vision for your area. I want you to get a vision for the Walnut Creek area and beyond. Like, what campuses are you going to plant in five years? Where, where are y'all going to be at? The city needs you, and it needs God in you. Amen? Amen? Let's conclude. Can we have every eye closed in the presence of the Lord? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.